This is the discussion table with Avery, he, they, Ripley, they, them, River, she, her. And we will be talking about mental health and LGBTQ plus topics on this podcast. For this episode, we will be talking about rights and history of people with mental illnesses and people that are LGBTQ plus. So first, uh, I think I will talk about rights of mostly gay men because there's not much about transgender people in the article that I looked up. So there's not much about transgender people in anything if you think about it. Unless yeah. you like search it up specifically and really dig deep, it is very hard to find transgender yeah, people. Yeah, especially all the other articles. Especially in Canada and stuff, I had to do a project on uh, black transgender people, and I tried to find like it was really hard, especially it's when you specify really... to Canada. Yeah, there's really. I mean, you'd mostly find them. I guess if you go on social media, you'll mostly find them on TikTok and stuff because they are they put their trans proud and everything but in articles you won't find anything Mm, no not really yeah it's easy to find stuff for the u.s or north america in general but canada is slightly hard so mostly gay men in this section so the buggery act of 1533 under henry the eighth uh was the original criminalization of gay sex gay activities gay men in general being gay um, and then, because it was uh, homosexuality was criminalized in Britain, it was criminalized in Canada as well, and it was punishable by death. So that's a bit extreme, right there. It's a bit extreme. <laughs> um, in 1861, so 300 years later, the um, more than 300 years later, the punishment for gay activities or being gay was reduced from death to 10 years to life in prison so again pretty extreme too far Uh, yeah uh it all laws were targeted at gay men and they used ambiguous language to catch more people in 1890 gross indecency was a common charge so gross indecency is like it can be anything really yeah it's just if the court decides you're being indecent then that's to jail with you. Yes, You're to done. jail with you. <laughs> You're done. Um, in, 18, in, in 1948 and 1961, amendments were made to include to the law to include categories criminal sexual psychopath and dangerous sexual offender, which means anyone who is likely to commit another offense, which punishes specifically gay people who are not celibate. So gay people who do not not have sex. So... Uh, Everett George Clippert was one of those people. So he was a mechanic from Northwest Territories who was arrested in 1965 for gross indecency. And he was deemed dangerous sexual offender by prison psychiatrists. And because of that, his prison sentence was increased indefinitely. So the mainstream press criticized their decision and he was released ultimately in 1971. In 1957, um, so years before Everett George Clippert was arrested, the Wolf and Den report uh, recommended, the Wolf and Den report from Britain recommended decriminalization of certain gay activities. In 1967, 10 years later, it was adopted in Britain and homosexual homosexual behavior 
between consenting adults in private should no longer be considered a criminal offense was what was put in that report. So as long as it was between adults who could consent and it was in private, then it was no longer illegal. So... There's Which basically still means, like, no kissing in public, no holding hands. You show it yeah. in public, still get arrested. Yeah. Which is very dumb. Yeah, very yeah. dumb. So, in 1969, May, Bill C-150 decriminalized gay sex in Canada. So, in 1969, which was the same year as Stonewall, uh, which, if you don't know, was a protest in the U.S. with 205 protesters... If you don't know, Stonewall was a protest with 205 protesters led by Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Yeah, I think I they have actually a documentary on Netflix about the death of Marsha P. Johnson. You see Garcia Sierra a lot. Uh, they were friends and stuff. Silvera. Silvera, I Silvera. think. Yeah. yeah. She's not talked about as much, but she was just as much of a, uh, a revolutionary as Marsha P. Johnson. Yeah. This season we talked about a lot more. Yeah. So, in August 1971, small protests in Ottawa and Vancouver were uh, occurred to end all forms of discrimination against gay and lesbian people. In 1972, it was a very happy year for uh, LGBTQ plus people, and it was the first Pride celebration, which was a picnic on the Toronto Islands, organized by University of Toronto Homophile Association, Gay Action Now, and the Community Homophile Association of Toronto. That sounds nice. Yeah. A picnic sounds nice. A picnic would be so great. Right? Like, just scrap the whole Pride Parade. Let's just go to a park and have a giant picnic. Yeah. Food. <laughs> I, I wouldn't complain. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to complain there? Uh, uh, no one. Okay. So, in 1977, Quebec changed its human rights code to prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and Canada lifted its ban on immigration of gay men into Canada. So that was great for immigrants because, of course, in 1977, it wasn't great all over the world to be gay. So you could come to Canada and maybe get a slightly better experience. Not like a whole lot better experience, just a little bit of a better experience. Just a little bit better. So on the 5th of February, 1981, Toronto police arrested almost 300 men in raids of four uh, bathhouses, which were where apparently a lot of gay men hung out. So... Um, Okay, then. Yeah. So... What were bathhouses anyway, though? Was it just like like a literal bathhouse? Yeah. You go there to shower? Like, you go there to clean yourself. So... Apparently, apparently that was seen as a gay thing to clean yourself, <laughs> or maybe factually, gay men did hang out there. I'm not sure. I mean, you <laughs> you smell like okay. That seems kind of gay to me. I don't yeah, know, man. being right. clean is gay, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the next day, three thousand people rioted compared to the two hundred and five in Stonewall. So while Stonewall is a very important day or event. Uh, we should also talk about the stuff that happened in Canada with the 3,000 yeah. people. I Which, don't considering we have a smaller population, is quite surprising. Yeah. So, I don't know if that event had a name, but we'll just call it the 6th of February, 1981. <laughs> mm-hmm. Perfect name. Yeah. Uh, so, in 1995, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled 
the right to equal protection and equal benefit of the law without discrimination, including sexual orientation as prohibited basis of discrimination. So that means that if someone fires you for being gay, then that's not allowed anymore. So in 2005, our last point about LGBTQ plus people is gay marriage was legalized in Canada. So in 2005, so that's really insane when you think about it. Right, because that's like super recent. Because I know like America didn't get theirs legalized like until like maybe, I think it was like almost a decade after we did, but still like considering 2005 is still yeah. really, really recent, so. And it could have been so much better if we just didn't follow Britain. Right? Yeah. Britain is the enemy. Definitely. <laughs> the col- <laughs> initial colonizer who went around and they were just like, you know what, this thing? Bad. Yeah. Very anyone bad. who is part Britain or is from Britain? Yeah. So sorry, but very bad. You caused this. So, uh, next we will talk about uh, rights and history, mostly history of people mental with mental health issues. Okay. Um, I'll start. So, uh, there was a Hotel Dieu in 1714, which was in Quebec for mentally ill women. Um, uh, later on, they did add, they took in 12 men. The treatment of the mentally ill in New France and British North America were primarily a family responsibility. Patients who couldn't be cared at home, they were placed in jails, poorhouses, and under deplored conditions. I would, I would not want to be part of that. No, probably not. Yeah. They treated mentally ill people really terribly back in the day. They like did. before, Like, especially in the late 1800s and stuff. Um, they opened up asylums in 1835 in St. John's, New Brunswick. And they also had asylums opened up in Toronto in 1841. Not that far apart. No, not very much. Um, there was uh, Lyd- uh, Dorothea Aldite, who fought for mentally mental health rights, which resulted in um, a mental hospital being put in St. John's in 1885 and in Nova Scotia. Um, there was a Dr. Richard Book, who was the a superintendent of a mentally uh, insane hospital in Hamilton in 1876. He stopped the cruel treatment of people in the hospital. He stopped using alcohol in patients and stopped restraining them, which was uh, obviously good. Um, and also, just so you know, uh, mentally insane is now probably not a correct term, but yeah. In those years, they used used whatever. Yeah, they used, like, a lot of terrible terms for people back then. Um, And then he also brought in physically ill people into the uh, hospital, and um, as well as uh, he brought in sports for the hospital patients to play as well. Do you have any notes on that? Um, Not as much notes. There wasn't really anything for it on. But I do know is there was an abandoned jail that later got turned into the wing of Paramount Buildings, and I finally did get turned into the headquarters of all this, which is at 999 Queen Street, so who knows if it's actually still there. Yeah, um, might be. I kind of want to check that out now. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, uh, there was also a Dr. Charles Clark who worked for the Hamilton Asylum as well, where he assisted, he was assistant superintendent. He changed the asylum from a jail to a hospital in 1887. They also advocated for the term asylum to stop being used in 1893. Because asylum is like... Asylum means a place to go where it's happy and fun and like a <laughs> utopia, and that's not a it correct was term. Mainly supposed to be like a hospital for people yeah. who had uh, mental health problems and stuff. Yeah. Um, Clifford Beers was the founder of the mental health movement in North America and the National Committee for Mental Hygiene. Um, I. What, he was hospitalized after suffering from an episode in mental dis, of a mental disorder at 18. And after that, he wrote a book called A Mind That Found Itself about uh, his hospital experiences. So a lot of these people, I think, that really fought for mental health rights were people who had mental health rights themselves. Uh, mental health uh, issues themselves. Yeah. So... There was also a Dr. Charles Hicks who organized the Canadian National Committee for Mental Hygiene, which is now the Canadian Mental Health Association. Um, he fought for rights because he had severe depression as well. Um, he organized the International Committee for Mental Hygiene, he planned for the first International Congress on Mental Hygiene, which was in Washington in 1930. He, uh, his work also helped to develop child guidance clinics for the early detection and prevention of mental illnesses. You have any notes on any other important people who helped? Um, there was this one called Hypocrites, where one of the first writers challenges of the beliefs, the supernatural causes of mental illnesses. Um, they claimed that mental diseases had a psychological and natural basis. As an astute observer, he in detailed a number of mental conditions, but they were had they had different names back then. But I can't find the names now. But as of right now, they are known as phobias, mania, depression, and paranoia. Um, but when you try to explain this to other people, they think a theory of demonology and witchcraft. So they don't really take mental health illnesses as seriously as they should they just think it has something to do with the devil and stuff yeah like all those movies where they'd be like like this probably person like in the history and stuff where this person probably had like uh schizophrenia and stuff yeah or, but they were like oh it's definitely a demon you know this person definitely possessed yeah you know yeah and do we have anything else mm. um in world war Two, uh actually uh, affected the way the public viewed the mental health quite a bit because of the necessity of doing health checks on all their recruits, they found that uh, thousands of people had mental difficulties, and this led to much more research on mental health in the future. Um, modern rights, there's not a lot, mainly that um, in Section 15 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, uh, Dase says that all Canadians get legal equity uh, equality under the law, including people with mental disabilities. So you're not allowed to be discriminated in the workplace or fired because you're bipolar or stuff like that. It's actually very good because it is now things with COVID going on, it is harder to get a job and it is harder to work. And also knowing that you have a mental health problem or disorder, 
It's good to know you won't get fired from your job just because you're different. Yeah, I mean, generally, people shouldn't have been fired because they're different, essentially, because, especially because people made a lot of um, ignorant assumptions where they just assumed, like, this person, uh, remember that movie? The horror movie where he killed a bunch of people? Yeah, Yeah. you had the same thing, so maybe we should fire you anyway. But what you see in movies doesn't mean it's true in real life. Especially in movies. Yeah. One thing I want to bring up is the movies or YouTube videos that you see on YouTube, obviously, where uh, the title is like exploring an abandoned mental asylum gone wrong. (laughs) It's like, are you kidding me? What are you doing? Like you are upholding all these stigmas. And I'll be honest, I did watch them when I was like in grade seven because I was not very aware of what was wrong and what was right. Yeah. And um, I just, if you guys watch those things and you see that this ghost appeared and choked someone out. That's edited. That's edited and it's fake. It's not real. It's it's just so harmful because it's always the mental asylum or mental hospital. Like, just because people died there doesn't mean they're going to come back and kill you. It doesn't and, work like that. And the fact that they use mentally ill people as the whole get, crux uh, is... Yeah, a, a way to get followers, a way to promote themselves or anything like that. That's just... Clout. It's so harmful. So And it's disrespectful. It's very disrespectful. So if you ever see videos like that, maybe just don't watch them. Don't, don't give the creator views. You can... Obviously, I can't stop you, but I would just say research, spend the time, look at how long the video is and spend that time researching a mental illness of your choice because that's a lot better of a way to use your time. Yeah, because then they're continuing the stereotype that uh, mentally ill people are psychos who, uh, like, will kill you and might snap at any moment, which is completely untrue. Yeah. So yeah, what if you do watch those videos? Um, after you watch it, do a bit of research on th- what they say, and just do the research because yeah, or find better videos. Like you can find better ghost hunting videos. You want yeah. ghost hunting? Go find but something better to watch. Just know the ones that are filmed in mental hospitals or all that stuff. Those aren't real ghosts. They are edited. Um, and also because the patients were treated there were probably treated really terribly. They were probably treated like like killers and like murderers when none of them probably were. They were probably treated terribly with uh, alcohol and forced to be restrained and all this and all terrible stuff. stuff. Yeah, so if you ever watch those videos, just know that the people making them are definitely not the most... They want clout. They want clout. And, and they're, they're not definitely not the most educated. politically correct, educated. They're not they very aware. Themselves. They, they definitely did not. Them. They did do it. Say, because all those videos are actually very popular right now on YouTube, and they were popular way before it too. But let's be real. If ghosts actually came back in a mental hospital to kill you, it'd be the doctors, if anything. It they would definitely be yeah, the doctors. Definitely. I can not agree more. Though I feel like some patients, if the ghost could come back, some patients would as well to seek revenge, but... Probably on the doctors. Yeah. 
probably, most definitely. But do research on the video. Do research on the mental health they're talking about. And definitely do your own research on different mental health problems. Yeah, educate yourself. Don't just assume based off of movies you watched, because most of those movies are probably false. And fake, because as we talked before, someone with schizophrenia most likely would not kill you if someone told them to. Like, these movies are so false. Like, they're not going to kill you just because they have mental health issues. They just need help. Like, it's not, it's not mental illness that makes them dangerous. Like, they can have a personality that makes them dangerous. Like, they don't have to be together. They can be separate things. Like, a person who kills people and then also has a mental health problem. That has nothing to do with with them killing other people. Yeah. Like, you can have mental health, or people that kill people that don't have mental illness illnesses so just know that you can separate them just because something happens with one doesn't mean they connect together yeah it's not always a link yeah people with mental health problems people with mental illnesses they just want to be heard they just want they just want some help that's all i think that's all okay that's the end of our second episode river she her ripley they them avery he they signing Signing off. off